to episode seven of the Live Motocross podcast. Uh, we're doing things a little bit differently this week. So, Darren, where are you? Oh, I am in my office at work. As you can see behind me, my beautiful palette cladding that I've got <laughs> and, and the kids gear that I'm doing. So, I, I, yeah, I'm kind of working from office at the moment. So, uh, yeah, a bit different, a bit different for me. Office slash garage, I think, at the moment, slash isn't garage, it? Slash garage, yeah, slash work, yeah. It's a bit panic at the moment, to be fair. <laughs> there we go. So if you can see the guy just below us, um, we have got a pretty big guest on this week's podcast. Um, Darren, do the honours. One of the nicest guys in the paddock, and I know he's sat underneath me there on the video link, but he won't mind me saying that. He's such a cool guy and really looking forward to this one because such a nice guy, you know, he's been there got the t-shirt you know so really looking forward to this one because I'm sure there's loads to come from this that's it there we are so we have USA's Thomas Covington on the line hey guys thanks for having me on and yeah thanks for the kind words Jen <laughs> <laughs> made me fine. sound a lot better than I am but yeah <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll take it <laughs> so how's sunny Shropshire mate is it uh you're in Shropshire at the moment, aren't you? Uh... Oh, yeah, it's beautiful. I'm, uh, yeah, I'm really enjoying uh, being up here and, uh, you know, the cycling routes, everything's uh, really nice over here. A bit uh, a bit more enjoyable than uh, than if we had to quarantine over in Belgium or something like that. Oh, so, God, yeah. Uh, it's not too bad. And it's really good that we've got good weather, otherwise cycling and all that kind of thing and stuff like that is or you can imagine how bad it would be other than that so um yeah so uh, how far do you go just because we're both cyclists i'm just <laughs> interested yeah. how far do you go on a normal run mate just as a pro athlete that's all i was wondering well actually i don't do a whole lot of running just because um my knees are terrible i've got the knees of like a 80 year old so, <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah i do a little bit of run. i i'll wake up and do just like a 30 or 40 minute run like before breakfast in the morning most of the time, but uh, I mostly do cycling. Um, that's my main thing. Like this morning, uh, went out with a buddy. Uh, we just did like 30 miles, but um, I'm not, not as, I'm not as strong as I used to be there. I used, I used to do a lot more cycling. Um, uh, I guess about three or four years ago, I was like cycling seven days a week, but I, I'm trying to build back up now, now that we have all this yeah. time on our hands. <laughs> it doesn't just come like that anyway does it but yeah. you know but you've got to put the miles on mate anyway so yeah. yeah we're just we're really intrigued mate because obviously you've gone the opposite way to most uh, american riders would obviously a lot of them stay over in america and go through the system there um and then you know sometimes in their career they come over to gps but literally when you you're still fairly young you've decided to jump ship and do you know the grand prix um, what was the philosophy behind that? Mate? How, how did it all happen in the beginning? Then just tell us the story as about you, you know, where you started from, really, and and how you made the progression to there. Yeah, I grew up in Alabama, um, in the middle of nowhere <laughs> in the country. Um, didn't uh, I didn't follow motocross a whole lot until um, I guess I was about twelve or thirteen. Then I started getting a bit more serious, and uh, at that point we moved out to California and it started to be kind of like, uh, you know, possibly be a career for me in motocross. And, uh, yeah, pretty much my dream the whole time growing up was to, you know, sign a pro contract and turn 16 and, you know, race supercross, mm -hmm. you know, AMA outdoors, all that. I didn't even know, uh, the MXGP existed at that point, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, then one year after Loretta Lynn's, I, uh, got the opportunity to come over and race the European 250 class at Matterley Basin with uh, CLS. And uh, I just thought it'd be a cool experience. Um, so I came mm -hmm. over and that was really my first taste of uh, GP racing. So um, obviously I'd heard of guys at that point, like uh, Caroli and Hurlings and whatnot. Um, but I'd, other than that, I didn't know anything about it, but um, it really took me by surprise how professional the whole event was and, uh, just watching Crowley ride, I was like fascinated. I was a huge Crowley fan. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, that was my first taste of it. And then um, I still went back 
to America and ended up actually uh, signing a contract with um, with Pro Circuit to make my pro debut with him for outdoors and I think 2014 it would be mm-hmm. and uh, so I was basically just training with that I was training with Johnny O'Mara at the time and uh, we were getting ready for outdoors and then this opportunity came up to do just the first three GPs um, it was Qatar Thailand and Brazil um, just as kind of like a warm-up for the outdoors in America because uh, I wasn't starting out in Supercross I was going to go into outdoors so, um, and amateur racing in the U.S., it's only, you do like maybe five, six lap motos. They're pretty short. Mm-hmm. They're like sprints. So, and except at Loretta Lens and a few others that you get a little bit longer moto. But um, I just thought it'd be a good experience to get some like longer race motos under my belt and um, a cool experience anyway, just to do all the traveling. And I'd never really been out of the U.S. except to that GP at Matterly Basin. So, um yeah, I decided to go for it, and um, Mitch built me a few engines to ship over and <clears throat> that I used to race with, and uh, ended up doing really well at my first race. Uh, got a third in one of the motos at Qatar, and um, <clears throat> really just enjoyed the experience overall, um, you know, traveling all over the place, and uh, it really opened my eyes to the rest of the world, and um, then uh, CLS, you know, asked me if I'd be interested in staying the whole season and um mm-hmm. at first I was like oh no way like I've worked my whole life for this contract in the U.S. like uh like that's what I'm gonna do but the more I thought about it you know and they kept kind of bugging me like uh oh, come on like we'd really love to have you and the more I thought about it I was like man this is a really cool opportunity um aside from the racing aspect of it and career-wise it's just um really cool life experience to um see the world and um, you know, race my dirt bike while I'm doing it. And uh, at the end of the day, I spoke to Mitch and uh, Kawasaki and they were good with it. I mean, I was still uh, still on a Kawasaki at that point. So uh, decided to go for it. Cool. Well, it's just really nice to hear a different take on, you know, the way people go about things and stuff like that. So yeah. you, you mentioned there, obviously, Loretta's and all that kind of thing, you know, the usual amateurs thing that the uh, the American circuit do but going back to the very beginning then where, what was your first bike mate what what was it was it like the, the peewee or what, what did you first have uh, uh, I had a little Yamaha PW50 mm-hmm. so it's all it's all coming full circle now <laughs> <laughs> but now I had a little PW50 and uh, I have two older brothers um, that also started they started riding when I was about three or four years old. And uh, then my dad decided just to get me a bike to keep me busy while he was, you know, working with the other two. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's, that's pretty much where it started, riding in a field across from my house. And um, then, you know, my dad was always out there, like trying to get my brother to hit some jump or like go through the corners faster, taking them to races. And then one day, uh, one of his friends, him said hey I think you need to pay a little bit more attention to the little one like I've never <laughs> seen a, a kid ride a PW50 like that and uh so from that point then we went to Loretta Lands and I won the won Loretta Lands when I was uh six years old mm-hmm. on the PW50 and uh that's really where it all started for me wow, wow. okay so Obviously, your dad being a big influence then back in the day, I should imagine, mate, he, he pushed you quite a lot, I should imagine, from there. And having, I mean, I don't know, you'll have to excuse me, mate, but Alabama, and I'm sure so for what's name, is that like the biggest wide open place you could ever imagine? That's how I picture it in my head anyway. Yeah. It probably isn't, well, yeah. but. It's a, uh, well, it's not really wide open, it's real thick forest, but um, <laughs> there's not much, uh, yeah, where I'm from, you probably, you have to drive about, 30 or 40 minutes just to get to a main uh like highway like main road uh-huh. um so it's it was really out in the middle of nowhere but um yeah and my dad he didn't really race none of my family raced at all so um kind of first generation racing families but um some of my brother's good friends they started racing and then that's what made my brothers want to get bikes and my dad he just thought 
it'd be a good way to get the family out on the weekends, go to the races and spend time together. And uh, obviously soon after that, the competitiveness. <laughs> but, um, but no, my dad's always been uh, really involved and even to this day, um, you know, pushing me and, uh, you know, since, since I turned pro, he took a bit of a step back, but, um, you know, him and my mom have, have always been right there. And uh, as well as my brothers, they're always <laughs> pushing me to, you know, be better and, you know, not give up, keep going. So mm-hmm. it's good to have that kind of support system. And um, now as well with my wife, Amy, it's the same way. Um, just, it's so important to have people like that, um, you know, pushing you and uh, keeping you going when things aren't going so great. Yeah, definitely, mate. So we're just saying that um, one of the things I will say about you and I, I can make being a big fan and whatever else and watching you over the years and stuff like that is you make riding a motorcycle look extremely easy. You're, you're smooth. You're so smooth, stylish, and it, you make it look effortless. We know that it isn't. We know it's super hard work. So I'm just kind of wondering, back in the early days, did, did you feel like it was something you really had to work hard at or did it just become... Was it naturally easy for you to ride a motorcycle? I mean, just, I just wanted to know what... Yeah, I mean, I guess uh, from a young age, you know, it's, uh, it just kind of naturally came to me. I really enjoyed it and, uh, you know, I seemed to be pretty good at it, so it was fun. And, um, but I definitely had to, you know, put in a lot of hours out of the track. We were fortunate enough to have a track um, on our land in, in Alabama, so that my dad kind of cut in between the trees. So mm-hmm. just about every day after school, we were out, me and my brothers were out there riding and uh, just lap after lap after lap. Um, I guess that's what kind of made it for me, you know? Um, and then as I got a bit older, it um, became more of like a, I guess more of a job, but, um, but still really enjoyed it. And, um, you know, one of the, I think it's one of the best jobs you can have, you know, so riding oh, a dirt bike around. So it's agreed. Um, but I think <laughs> agreed. Nope. <laughs> yeah. I think it does it did um come natural to me a bit, obviously, but um, you know, talent only gets you so far in this sport because um you look at the MXGP class now and you know, there's fifteen guys that can, you know, put it up inside the top five at any given time. So um, you know, the hard work and the training's what separates everybody obviously in the mental mental side of it as well but um I think too uh, my riding style probably came a little bit from just riders that I watched uh growing up and when I moved to California um I actually spent a lot of time uh riding with uh, Christian Craig and mm-hmm. uh, his dad Mike Craig uh trained me a bit and Christian he always had a really effortless like kind of flowing style and uh, I guess I watched him a lot and ended up kind of trying to copy that. Um, but yeah, a lot of people do say that. They're like, it doesn't even look like you're trying out there. Yeah. So, um, yeah. That's frustrating for me and so because we're like <laughs> 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 pushing so hard and just making the right holics of it. So um, yeah. So I mean, you, you were just saying there, who were your inspirations then? Um, from a, an early age, who did you, you know, who did you really, you said, you mentioned Mike Craig there, obviously he was a pro supercross rider and everything else, and really good in his day. And I remember watching him in the NEC and he's really talented. Um, but just, just growing up, who, who did you, who did you, was it Bubba or, or who, who, who were your icons in the sport? Like I said, when I was really young, I didn't um, pay attention to the sport all that much. Um, was more just riding in my backyard <laughs> and uh, going to a few amateur races. But um, I guess from the time I started actually paying attention was right at the end of uh, Carmichael's career. Mm-hmm. And then throughout my whole career, kind of watching back races of him. And um, he's probably the one that I look up to most um, as far as like work ethic and, and everything like that. Um, as far, yeah, I guess he'd be the only one that I, that I really uh, watched and um, looked up to. So jumping, just jumping back to more towards the start of your career then, Tom. Um, 
well, I suppose you could say up to now, what would be sort of your main career highlights across the years? What are the ones that have really stuck in your mind? Um, when I was really young, as far as amateur days, it definitely have to be, um, yeah, I barely remember it, but my first title at Loretta Lynn on the yeah. PW50, uh, that was obviously a big, you know, that's where it all started. But um, uh, I guess I won Loretta's three times and all three of those uh, stand out as like big moments for me. Uh, one other time in the 85, uh, like 12 to 13 class. And then again in the, I think it was 250B class. Um, like really spread apart, like, age-wise and on, all on different bikes and um mm-hmm. there's probably a lot of times in there where I thought about in my family too like oh should we keep doing this like it costs a lot of money um like is it really worth it to keep doing all this and mm-hmm. dangerous and all that um but it seemed like those wins were just spaced out enough <laughs> to keep us going <laughs> so, uh, and, you know, motivation. Like, yeah exactly and like the sponsors that were helping us out too were like oh we can't really stop now like we got these people that still believe in me so um yeah I think those three Loretta Lynn titles stand out the most for me in my amateur career as they would you know any amateur kid growing up in the U.S. that's um that's the biggest race but um and then moving on to the pros um obviously like the GP wins would stand out probably the biggest one would be um the first win in in Mexico mm-hmm. um which was a bit unexpected. Like I didn't expect to be winning GPs at that point. Um, and uh, so that was, yeah, that was amazing. And then, uh, then towards the end of my 250 uh, GP days, um, which is probably one of the motos at Arco de Trento where I had a really good battle with uh, Jorge Prado, um, mm-hmm. basically the whole race right on his back wheel. And then finally, finding a way past him on the last lap um, with all the, like, you know, crazy Italian fans there. It was a pretty unreal experience. That's, uh, you know, that's one thing that um, makes the GPs pretty special is uh, is how passionate the fans are. Mm -hmm. Um, You you know, you see them hanging over the fence and screaming. They have smoke bombs going off, air (laughs) horns. and uh, Yeah, it's just, it's a pretty awesome feeling. Yeah, you feel that right. You you know, as a rider, you're just gonna get hyped up on that, aren't you? Because it just all adds for the atmosphere and whatever else. So, um, mm-hmm. four GP wins. Is that right? Yeah, sixteen podiums. So yeah. it's, it's not bad. Sure. To... <laughs> I wasn't sure how many. Yeah, people ask me sometimes, and I wasn't sure how many I had. <laughs> no, no, no. Well, yeah, that's what it says anyway. So. Um, I mean, did you find the transition from America to Europe very easy? Because lots of guys struggle, don't they, when they jump ship, vice versa, both ways, whether the guys go over to America and whatever, they make that transition. Sometimes it just doesn't work for them. And we've heard it several times already in our podcasts um, when we've spoken to people. How was it for you, mate? For going, now, I'm going to use this because I'm probably going to get into trouble here. But when I think of Alabama, I'm thinking front porch, banjo, ding, 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 ding. <laughs> Now, I know you're a big guitar player as well, aren't you, mate? You're, you're yeah. a, de- a decent singer as well. So, I mean, how did you make the transition, mate? Was it, was it easy? Was it hard? Did you, because I, I guess were you over there on your own then at the time or? Yeah, it's definitely difficult. Uh, the first, I'd say the first two years, um, I had some really good moments, like really good races where I would shine. But then the next weekend, I just, you know, it's a completely different track, different country, and I'd just be struggling. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of like after those first three GPs that I did uh, the first year. And then I decided to make the move to Europe, move to Holland, um, you know, basically by myself at 17. Um, uh, then went to the first round at Arco de Junta and I'm, I'm not even sure if I scored any points after being like top five kind of fighting for top five at the first three flyaways and mm-hmm. uh, that was kind of my first taste of um, how different the GP tracks were um, I think it was just a combination of one I'd never ridden a track that was rock hard like that you know in America <laughs> um, most of the tracks are out of like ripped up and you know water's real nice you get nice ruts and everything um whereas there I don't even think they 
uh, rip the track at all. It's just kind of <laughs> flattened yeah. and uh, like a solid rock base. So um, I struggled with that for a while. But um, yeah, probably the whole first two years, I struggled a bit. And there were a lot of times that I wanted to come home. <laughs> yeah. Uh, just like, oh, what am I doing here? Um, <laughs> but just decided to, you know, take it one day at a time, keep going and uh, trust that, you know, I was going to improve. And uh, finally, I started getting more consistent and um, getting on top of things. Mm-hmm. I can see, but I'm just looking at your results over the, the last few years since 2014, you can definitely see that progression happening in your results. Um, and then 2017, outstanding season. Um and really starting to gain some momentum then, really, um, in the Grand Prix. And all of a sudden, you know, Thomas Covington was coming through. Um, but what, what I want to we hear on different riders about their training programs and what they do and what thing and another. Is, mm-hmm. what, what is your secret, mate? What, what would you say is your kind of best way for you to train because obviously we have a lot of listeners following this and they always want tips at the end of it and stuff like this um what would you say as a professional motocross rider what what is the best that that you could say to any amateurs or anything out there that that are listening yeah i mean um so i guess you're asking what the secret sauce is (laughs) yeah 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 uh really um i don't think there's like one thing that's just like uh, you know, you have to do this or have to do that. Um, I think it's more of just no matter what happened, no matter how bad the last race went or whatever, it's just keep believing in yourself and keep working towards, you know, whatever your goal is. Um, mm-hmm. And not because racing, there's so many highs and lows, you know, um, especially when you're racing just about every weekend. Um, you know, a lot can happen in one week <laughs> where like you have a bad second moto on Sunday. And you feel like, oh, like, what am I doing out here? Like, I forgot how to ride my bike. And then just then the next Saturday, you could have a good race and feel on top of the world again. So it's more just like keeping an even keel through it all and focused on um, what you need to do to get better, really. Mm -hmm. Um, Not focusing so much on the results. Right. And then, of course, moving on, we were just speaking about the 2017 championship when you really started to escalate. And the reason why I say that is because obviously you got picked for the MX of Nations then. And obviously, huge prestige behind that event, especially with you on the American team. Um, Just talk us through your experience. Looking back now, I mean, what was it like for you? Did you feel immense amounts of pressure, mate? What, What... you know, what, what did you take from it in 2017 and with that experience? Yeah, that was, yeah, that's probably one of the highlights of my career as well. Um, just to be picked for the team, you know, um, along with, uh, you know, the names in the past who've been on the team, it's, um, pretty amazing thing. So, um, I didn't think, honestly, I didn't think I would ever, um, be at a point in my career where I would be picked for the team. So, uh, that was really big for me. And, uh, I think I really enjoyed the experience overall. Obviously, I wasn't happy with the way that it turned out. Um, with me have you know having an injury on Saturday, um, midway through the the qualifying race, um, it was a bit of a bummer, and you know, wish I could have another shot at it, but um, yeah. that's just the way it goes. And so I'm, I still enjoyed every minute of it, and just honored to be picked for the team. Did you find it initially, did you find it strange that obviously, you know, you weren't in America as such, you were doing the Grand Prix scene and things like that. Did you think you were out of the running for for that, even though you were riding so well then, just because you were on the GP scene as opposed to racing in America? No, I mean, uh, I knew there was a chance just because a couple of the riders uh, had decided not to race uh, the Nations. And... Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and when I was hearing about that and then I was thinking to myself, like, who they could have to race, you know. Um, I actually reached out to uh, Roger DeCoster myself. Um, <laughs> I sent him an email <laughs> and I was just like, yeah. I was just, I said, hey, not sure where your head's at, but, um, you know, if you do need 
a third rider. Um, you know, I'm, I'm already over here. The team will support me. Um, all right, 450 or 250, wherever you want me. Mm-hmm. Um, just letting you know, like, I'd love to do it if, um, if you think it's the right move. And, uh, yeah, to my surprise, he came back and <laughs> said that, uh, he'd be interested in it. He talked to the AMA guys and, um, a few days later, they, you know, told me I was in. Um, so, but it wasn't until later on they had told me that I was racing the, the open class on the 450. So I was a little bit surprised there. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but I was still up for it though. I think, um, I always rode the 450 really well growing up and, a few times when I go back to America in between the GPs, um, I'd ride on a 450 there because that's some put him on that and put Zach on the 250. Um, but no, it was just an honor the, the whole experience. Would you do you consider yourself more of a 250 rider? I know obviously you were over the three, uh, age threshold now, and you, you know you've got no choice in it now. Would you consider yourself more a 250 rider than a 450 or? you just take riding anything or yeah I don't, I don't know I'd, I'd say just as far as r- just riding in general I enjoy racing the um or enjoy riding the 450 um it's just it's just fun having that much power you know <laughs> <laughs> I really enjoy like the power right there um whenever I need it don't have to work so hard as you do on the 250 <laughs> um but no I, I love riding the 450 um like uh Obviously, I don't have that much race experience, and that's that's what I'm liking at this point. Um, just time on the on the new bike and uh, getting used to the the race pace of the GP class. Um, so moving forward, obviously, if we end up getting a race season for 2020, with how things go in, um, how, what have you been putting in place for that? Sort of, what preparations have you been doing? Um, well, really, it's tough to do a whole lot of preparation just because um, we can't get any bike time in right now. Mm-hmm. So it's a little bit frustrating. Um, but really just making sure, you know, I'm physically fit. And um, I'm actually probably was the best thing for me this break just to kind of regroup and, um, yeah. you know, mentally as well as physically because um, I didn't have, didn't really have a chance to get the full off season just because, the uh, Epstein Bar virus that I was coming off of um, in America um, wasn't really a hundred percent healthy um, in November, and then coming into December, January, I felt like um, you know I was getting back to normal, and that's the only time I was really able to get back into my um, mm-hmm. like normal training schedule. So uh, after being off the bike for you know several months since the beginning of outdoors. Um, that goes and as well testing the team um i probably would have started a bit earlier um if uh, if i'd have been 100 percent healthy a bit earlier but you're obviously quite a methodical rider as well so the thing is as a professional athlete as well never mind i mean we all know motocross is probably the hardest sport if not you know in the world but you didn't even feel yourself even as a human being did you never mind the job that you've got to do as a professional motocross rider? Uh, in America or? No, well, yeah, when you come off, obviously having that virus, yeah. you wouldn't have felt yourself anyway, would you? Never mind the job that you have to do. I mean, yeah. we all know you've got to be the one of the fittest people on this planet athlete-wise to even yeah, consider yeah. riding a right cross bike, but you didn't even feel right in yourself, did you? Never mind just doing normal day-to-day stuff. Yeah, exactly. It was just um, yeah, it was a tough time for sure. Just uh, as far as moving back over to England or back over to Europe, and then trying to get testing going with the team and settling in, and then with the season starting so early, um, uh, it was just yeah. In hindsight, it was a bit all mixed up because um, I was just trying to get too much in in the short amount of time that I had before the season. Um, mm-hmm. You know, me and my wife flew over uh, to England on Christmas Day, and then uh, we were we we're probably here in England for three or four days, and then flew straight down to Spain and tested for two weeks, and then from there we went to Belgium for a little while, but um, but it was just raining like for 
two weeks solid <laughs> and uh, barely got any riding in. So then we we're going down to France a little bit to try to get some bike time. And then um, at the same time, trying to like sort out a place to live in England yeah. or it's uh, it, it was a lot to take on all at once. So um, in one way, this, this break was a blessing for us just to settle in and uh, get into a routine and uh, get everything sorted for when racing does return. Um, so obviously a lockdown might be eased a little bit in the UK over the next month or so. Um, what sort of things have you got lined up ready to go for season to be restarted? Well, um, you know, obviously my bike's ready to go and I'm mm-hmm. ready to go physically. So, um, at this point we're just, just waiting. I mean, everything's set and ready to go. Just, um, waiting on the tracks to open back up and, uh, I think as soon as we're allowed to travel, um, mm-hmm. you know, freely and uh, tracks are open, I'll probably head back over to Europe and do a bit more testing and uh, just get more comfortable on the bike because uh, with the 450, it's um, it's really fun bike to ride and everything. But when you go racing, everything needs to be just exactly on point because it's yeah. so much power and it, it can bite you so quick. And um, yeah. I think more importantly than having like, a good engine or a fast bikes, just having everything set up right, suspension and all that, and uh, just being comfortable in your setup. And uh, I think that's probably the biggest thing that I'm lacking now is just seat time and uh, time on this new bike. Um, so switching manufacturers as well as jumping up to the 450. So uh, it's a lot of changes, and um, I just need as much seat time as I can get. For sure. Um, Darren, do you want to add any more bits in until we go into the Q and A? Yeah, well, I was just to get the feedback here because we going back to a few podcasts earlier. Sean Simpson said very similar things to what you've just said, um, but given the fact, it, I mean, as an MXGP rookie for you um, going forward this year, and you say yes, it, it's great you've had some downtime and you can get you know uh, mentally prepared and things like that and physically prepared, um, but. I overheard a conversation with you when, when and AB was there as well in when I was commentating at Hawkston International um, on the Saturday. And Saturday was beautiful, sunny skies, and then obviously that torrential rain turned up. <laughs> and and I just thought, oh God, you know, for you as an MXGP rookie, in those conditions when we turned up on Sunday morning, you must have just thought, oh, do you know what? What have I done? What have I done wrong? You know. Um, uh, what did you think, mate? What was the thought process going on there? <laughs> yeah, I, um, actually, I enjoy a mud race. Yeah. Honest. Um, yeah, I always have. Um, a lot of times, I get a little bit excited. When <laughs> I guess, I guess a bit like Sean does. He's, you know, he's amazing in the mud. But um, no, I always like a mud race, and it just kind of it changes the whole aspect of the race. And um, uh, I guess just I just enjoy it. It's kind of fun. Is it is that down to your smooth style that we were talking of? That's bound to benefit there as well. So yeah, I think the thing that I benefit from most is just uh, saving the bike when it's that bad. Because um, I tend to be fine. And so if we go on moving on into the uh, the next section, then um, I mean the trouble is we're all we all don't know what's happening yet, do we? None of the affiliations uh, have kind of worked out what they're doing. I've heard rumors MotoGP potentially starting in July now. Um, but, and again, thinking forward for this, uh, MotoGP starting in July in Jerez as a double header potentially. Mm-hmm. No crack, no crowd. What? Possibly no, yeah, no crowd. Potentially no TV coverage. Okay. I mean, for you, I, this is just where it's going to get weird. And it is, if this year isn't weird enough, I mean, you as a racer going around, and you used to say before, Hawkston International, wherever you are in the calendar, whatever you know, c- country you are, you always got your fans, they're always shooting you on the side. How weird is it going to be for you going forward, going around that track, knowing that nobody's watching or cheering on or... Yeah, it'll definitely be really strange. Uh, I can, yeah, I can't even picture it in my head. Really. Um, cause I, you know, like I said before, in Italy, like the fans is what makes the GP so like special and prestigious. Um, and 
without them there, yeah, it's just gonna it's gonna be really strange. But um, I hope they don't have to do that. But you know, it's kind of looking something like that. But um, hopefully, we can get back to normal somewhat soon. No, I think yeah, the only saving grace is obviously with MotoGP, you've got you know grandstands and things like that to fill. So the socially distanced thing is going to be very difficult. Whereas at motocross, at least you can get away from people. So fingers crossed. Yeah, I can never get away from you though, can I, racing, Darren? (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry about that. (laughs) There we go. Um, So Q and A's. Q and A's. Yeah, love this bit. We we love this bit, mate. so we've had quite a few, um, a mixture really of messages coming in this week, uh, just over social media and on the website and bits and bobs. Uh, first one off Instagram is, what's the best bike you've ridden? I think the most enjoyable bike to ride that I've ridden is the, uh, is the Yamaha 450, the new, newest one. Just yeah. straight out of the box, because I rode it that way um in california like before I, we made the move over here to europe this year mm-hmm. uh, i just had a completely standard uh 2020 yamaha even the stock handlebars and everything <laughs> and uh i just had a blast riding it like after the year that i'd had and then just kind of getting a new start like starting over and hopping on that bike i just you know i'd the time of my life on it so just smiling yeah under your helmet and go through Right, Gosh. okay. Uh, this is an interesting one. It is one of the ones that I've got written down here, but I knew it was coming up, so we, we left it go either. And another <laughs> one from Instagram, mate. Obviously, with all your Grand Prix experience now, um, one of the, the, the big questions, and I got it down originally in mine as well, but we, we knew it was in the Q&A session later anyway. From Instagram, what is your favourite track and why? Probably my favourite track, like... Um... Like I think I mentioned it before, uh, with my late, all-time least favorite track, the first two years in GPs, um, I really struggled there at the beginning, but um, at the end, it turned out to be one of my favorites, which is uh, Arco de Trento in Italy. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just kind of cool to see a place that I struggled at so much, and then after you know all the training and hard work, you see it kind of pay off a few years later when you know winning a race there. Um, so that ended up being one of my favorites. Tarka de Chinta, either that or um, the Czech Republic Locket, um, which is a really similar track. I think um, I think those tracks just suit my riding style, just because it's not all about like hanging it out or going wide open, you know, uh, off the back of the bike. It's just kind of methodical and uh, forces you to use a lot of bike skills and just kind of fun to. Um, find some creative lines and uh, things that make a big difference in the race. Mm -hmm. So just off the back of that then, obviously as an American coming over to Europe and facing sand tracks for the first time, um, how did you cope with that first of all? Because I think, is it only Southwick or something that's really deep sand in America that actually use on the AMA circuit? Yeah, we really don't have any uh, deep sand tracks like you get in Belgium or Holland. Um, You do have Southwick, but it's not um i've never raced there but it doesn't seem to be as uh as heavy as say lommel or something like that uh so yeah i definitely i struggled a lot in the sand my first couple of years uh you know like i did at arca as well just the whole all the european tracks were really new to me and uh but then the next few years you know having uh jackie martin's help and uh joel Rolance, they kind of slowly transformed me into a halfway decent fan rider so um that was really really cool to see for me um because i've really struggled in the sand uh, the first couple of years so um it was awesome to actually get a podium there um one of my last couple of years uh racing mx2 there we are um so i mean we've probably hit this already at some point during the podcast uh the next question Did you... what <laughs> jumping in again <laughs> as per usual yeah go on there you uh, go no i was just going off the back of that um obviously with regards to the sand and things like that did you and i feel it fascinating that obviously we get the americans coming over and 
how did you did you have to actually change your riding style to cope with the European chaps? How, how did you how did it happen? How, how did you make the transition when you say obviously because it is a process to get used to, isn't it? And you see you see MotoGP and World Superbike yeah. and things like that. Uh, you know, from one bike to another, people having to really change the riding style. But how would you explain it as best you can? Nothing really replaces the time that you put in out there at the track, out at Lommel and whatnot. Um, I don't think it's really changing my style much, but just a few little tweaks here and there, which, uh, you know, Joel and, and Jackie helped me with. Um, like a lot of times, actually, one thing in particular was keeping my feet on the pegs more than I normally would. Like uh, you watch Crowley or somebody go around the track, it's like they never take their feet off the pegs in the corner, just about. And, uh, you know, in America, that's had been like pounded into my head for, you know, yeah. for years. You know, you come into the corner, break, sit right up at the front and stick your leg out, uh, <laughs> like up high in, in the ruts, you know, and you go around Lommel and it's like a lot better if you just keep your feet on the pegs and keep driving throughout the whole corner. So um, that was definitely something that I had to learn. Cool. There we go. Um, so like I say, we've probably hit this next, this next question at some point through the podcast. Um, you could probably do this on one question to be fair. Um, your favorite youth motocross memory and why? And was there anyone that you looked up to when you were younger? Yeah, I think I mentioned a little bit before. Um, nothing really stands out more than uh, those uh, Loretta Lynn's titles mm -hmm. when I was young. Mm -hmm. um, those are really cool as well. It's like uh, Loretta Lynn's is not far from, or I mean, it was about, three and a half, four hour drive from where I grew up. And yeah. uh, a lot of times I had uh, had my whole family there, my grandparents and everything. Um, so those always meant a lot to me, uh, the championships at Loretta. Mm -hmm. And a uh, person I looked up to most, um, like I said before, just have to be Ricky Carmichael. Um, wasn't really anyone else that I idolized or anything like that. Um, uh, Ricky was probably, yeah biggest role model in, in motocross and uh then you know later on in my career um or actually not so far later in my career um when i was on 60 when i first got on a 65 mm -hmm. uh, i got the chance to go to ricky's farm and train a bit with uh his mom Jeannie. Mm -hmm. and then throughout the years i went and stayed down there at, at ricky's farm from time to time and then uh Again, when I was in America this last year, it's where uh, that's where Amy and I lived most years there in Tallahassee with uh, and training at the farm, and uh, it was really cool just to you know hang out with Ricky a bit and uh, you know, try to learn as much as I could from him. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Loretta Lynn's, I mean, it's a fabled event for us we over here we, we hardly hear anything about it. we see it on the videos you know the old videos where you've got barbo and all carmichael and all that when they were kids yeah. yeah the whole weekend real fun weekend is it really like that i mean they, there's they're jumping in the lakes they're doing this that and the other for the whole weekend and stuff and the podiums look amazing and just yeah. really good fun um firstly was it really like that because we don't get to see it over the side of the pond and the second thing was when you grew up, were there any, who were your rivals going through when you turned up at the Loretta's? Is there anybody that stands out that, you know, we know now? Or? Um, well, I guess uh, Loretta Lynn, yeah, I always look forward to it all year. Um, it's probably the most fun week of the year. Um, well, one, we got to get out of school for a week. <laughs> and two, we had like all our friends there, you know, from the motocross industry. Uh, but... Yeah, it's definitely, I, I miss going to Loretta Lynn's actually. Uh, just fields and fields full of campers and, you know, everybody brings their whole family out, all the kids. and uh, It's pretty much just like you see on the videos, honestly. <laughs> <There's> <laughs> golf carts and pit bikes everywhere. Uh, gun swimming. It's, uh, I, I want to go back one day. I know it won't be as fun now as I'm a bit old. <laughs> Do they do a pro adult race over there? Not, no, because obviously we just think it's youth and schoolboy uh, side, but they actually do a adult pro 
race out there, do they? So, uh, well, it's not like a like an AMA pro. Um, you're not allowed to really race Red Lens. It's an amateur event, um, but they do have what they call like the A class or the the pro class, um, which is usually the kids who, you know, have probably already got like factory rods or whatever. They're probably going to go pro the next weekend over at Unadilla or wherever. Um, that's like the top of amateur racing. Um, so, yeah, it's technically, I guess it is a pro class, but. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, ready for quick fires, do you think, Darren? Yes, I love this bit. This, now, is, this is a new thing. <laughs> but, and you've dropped a few big names there, to be fair. And I always sneak this one into my look at self space. Uh, your phone book on your phone who yeah. is the most famous person in your phone book most famous person it could uh, be probably probably ricky come on yeah we'll Boom. take that yeah we'll take that no bigger Boom. yeah <laughs> oh no amy's in the background oh uh, uh, tell her, tell her to jump so, in. I'm waving at her. Yeah, hey, she can hear you now that my mic. Aims. <laughs> yeah, I've been here, Thomas, for about yeah, that time. <laughs> hi. Hello, hi. Uh, you okay. Uh, yeah, not too bad. Just uh, what am I sitting? it's hard times, isn't it? Yeah, have you met Stella yet? I'll, I'll, I'll show you at the end. Okay. Yeah, well, I guess I'll finish. <laughs> She's, we're pretty good family friends with uh, Jamie Spears, um, Brittany's father. Uh-huh. So, that would outdo uh, Ricky, I don't know. There you Maybe. go, then. I never thought I'd be wow. talking about Britney Spears on this podcast. No, not not me. Not no, <laughs> live by, no, no, definitely not. Yeah, you actually... <laughs> And uh, and his wife came over and watched Motocross the Nations at Madeley uh, when I raced. That's crazy. Yeah, that's wild. Absolutely wild. <laughs> what? Good stuff. Right. So, so I've I've probably I've probably messed up on this to be fair because I did send you these these questions through, didn't I? And I didn't see that it got the quick fire round on the bottom. <laughs> so Basically, <you> <laughs> what, what we're saying, listeners, is she never thought that process through at all, did she? Because you're not meant to see these, mate. They're just meant to be <laughs> this or this, off the spur of the moment, go for it. But <laughs> right. so you just, you just act surprised. <laughs> <laughs> so, quick fire. We've got uh, five questions. The first one that pops into your brain say it straight out okay so you haven't seen these before whatsoever <laughs> i could answer these for him i'm sure of it yeah right yamaha or kawasaki uh-huh. two stroke or four stroke four stroke usa or europe usa <laughs> 250 or 450 uk is not part of europe <laughs> 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 Oh dear, that's going to come back and haunt you, mate, isn't it? Go on. Two fifty, four fifty. Uh, four fifty. Oh, stumbled on that one. Uh, RC or bother? We know the answer to this one. <laughs> Boom. Be. Did you get those right, Darren? Yeah, look, before you started. Oh, you've crossed them out. I don't believe you. Oh, see, this is what I get. <laughs> there we go so i think probably that will round up uh episode seven do you think cool yeah normally you've yeah. got a bit more to say than that no i just <laughs> no, i oh, just hi, oh. <laughs> she's so cute yeah <laughs> oh my gosh yeah. doing interviews so. this 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 is all I get when we go motocrossing. Any dog that comes out in front of us, Sophie's gone. I can be talking to her <laughs> 10 minutes and I walk away. She, she's gone. Absolutely. Yeah, maybe same way. Yeah. <laughs> we all the same. All oh, the same. She's so cute. 
Right, back to where we were and yeah. no more puppy talk. No. Um, Darren, anything to well, round it, up? Um, I'd just like to round off, Sophie, in, in saying I've always been a big fan of Tom's anyway. Um, really nice guy. You know, he's, I've taken my boys to meet him and they've fallen in love with him as well. And they've got the fan that, you know, they're just, you know, they, they love it to death. So whenever we're going now, we're always looking out for him and everything. So really nice guy. And let's just say, with everything that you've been through, mate, over the last year or so, we wish you the very best. Um, and I just can't say any more than that. You're a genuinely really nice guy. We just want to get to see you back on top where you deserve to be, um, on a bike that you like and you love and enjoy, and just smiling again, riding your motorcycle. That, that's all I want to say. Well, thank you. Appreciate everything, and thanks for having me on the show. I enjoyed talking. Anytime. So I think that rounds up episode seven of the Live Motocross podcast. Uh, join me and Darren next week where we'll be bringing you another special guest. But make sure you stay tuned to iTunes, Acast, Spotify. It's on 99% of the platforms now. Yeah, it's a lot. <laughs> um, but in the meantime, join us next week. No matter how hard we